Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Poems, Prayers, and Promises, a look at a variety of psalms. The psalms are the prayers of God's people, encouraging and teaching us how to pray in our day. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. We're going to be continuing uh, this week and next, as we did last week, in our, uh, actually two more weeks we've got after this one, in our series, Poems, Prayers, and Promises, which is looking at the Psalms. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 138. Psalm 138. You can look there in your Bibles. It's also in your booklets. And you can follow along up here on the screen. Psalm 138. I'll be using uh, the New International Version. So I encourage you now to hear the word of the living God, your creator, your redeemer, and your king. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands." One of the things I do uh, as part of my job is I try to keep up on some of the latest research, particularly I love reading about the ways that they say our brain works and things that affect our brain, what they refer to as the plasticity of the brain and, and practices that seem to have great effects on us. And one of the areas that's been getting a lot of research in recent years is on the benefits of gratitude how gratitude affects us. And there have been a whole bunch of studies, and as you read the various studies, I was looking at some again this week, there are studies that show gratitude has an emotional effect, that people, after expressing thanks, simply feel better. But furthermore, it has social effects. People just tend to get along better with one another when they're expressing gratitude and thanks. It has mental effects, that plasticity. It actually starts rewiring our brain to start noticing other things to be grateful for. It has physical effects. Those who are grateful experience less sickness. Uh, The sickness tends to be less severe. All kinds of positive uh, physical benefits. And they've noted it even has career benefits at work. Because if you ever work around complainers, you know it's not very pleasant. You'd rather be around somebody who's kind of, you know, upbeat, positive, can, can think about what's going on. So they've done all of this research, and there's actually an entire industry that has grown up around this area of gratitude, 
oftentimes it now goes under the uh, catchphrase of mindfulness. They, they've kind of taken that phrase in more or less from some Eastern religions, largely only because if something is in Christianity, we don't want to go back and say, we'll just do what Christianity said. We would rather import the same idea from somewhere else. But the thing that I love is all of this research is coming out, and it's cutting-edge research. And I always love when new science is catching up to the old Bible. Because I could have told them, yeah, yeah, David wrote these words like 3,500 years ago, or 3,000 years ago. He wrote this exact same thing. That gratitude is important as part of who we are. And it's actually even older than that in the Scripture. We'll talk a little bit. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go into it in the after hours today. The entire practice of Sabbath, which God actually created on the, the seventh day, and He gave to us. So it goes back, way back, as far as we have recorded human history. Central in the idea of Sabbath is what they're now referring to as gratitude or mindfulness. Taking the time to slow down, to enjoy, to count your blessings, so to speak. And that's exactly what's going on in here of, in this psalm. And there's many that I could have chosen. I picked Psalm 138. But today we want to talk about prayers of thanksgiving and praise, or prayers of thankful praise. So notice here that Psalm 138 is in fact what we would refer to as a psalm of thanksgiving and praise. If you notice in verses uh, 1 and 2, and then I'll include verse 4 here just to show at the beginning of the psalm, the word praise I've got highlighted there in orange three times, and then one time in blue, and that's because there's actually two different Hebrew words. The three that are in orange, it's not important for you to remember the word, it's the, the Hebrew word yada, which is the normal word for thanksgiving or praise. If you have some English translations, you may have been reading and saying it says praise like Brett was reading, and other English translations may say, I will give you thanks. And that's because the, the Hebrew word doesn't really make a distinction between those two activities. We'll see in this psalm, some of it is what we oftentimes will call praise for who God is, His character, His nature. And some of it is what we oftentimes refer to as thanksgiving for things God has done. This Hebrew word includes both. It is praise and thanksgiving for who God is and therefore the way God acts, the actual things He has done for us. So notice three times right up front, David is using this word and saying, I'm giving you praise or I'm giving thanks. The other word, the one that is in blue, is a different Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word zamar. And where we normally see this is if you look in the superscriptions at the beginning of many psalms, it'll say a psalm of David. And that is just the noun form of this verb. It's mizmor, which means it's a, it's a song of praise, a song of thanksgiving. So all those times you see at the beginning of the Psalms, we'll say a, a psalm of David or a psalm of the sons of Korah. All of those are actually saying it is a song of thanksgiving and praise by David or by the sons of and so it's really interesting that what we're gathering here when we're picking out this psalm, this is not restricted just to this psalm. The entire book of Psalms is the songs of thanksgiving and praise. Now, why do I say that? 
Number one, the book of Psalms contains a lot of songs that are full of thanksgiving and praise. In fact, I remember years ago uh, asking people, you know, what is the typical psalm? And people would say, you know, I praise you, O Lord. They would say something like Psalm 138. Now, I'm going to come back in a moment to the fact that there's actually a lot of laments in the psalms as well. But there are a lot of these songs of thanksgiving and praise. But secondly, the entire book was named by uh, the rabbis of Israel and taken into our uh, Bible. The title of the book is the Tehillim, which is a Hebrew word that means songs of praise. That's actually the title of the book. The title in Hebrew is not actually Psalms. It's not that word that's in blue. It's a different word, but it's another word that means praise. It's songs of praise to God. Again, many of the Psalms have that ascription of Mismore, the, the blue word there, the, the noun form of it, saying this is a song of praise. But as I mentioned, if you notice, the book of Psalms is also full of laments. And this summer, the guys were teaching a lot of laments. And that's not just because they're all Eeyore. That might be true of Tony. Tony might be Eeyore, but you know, uh, they're doing that because the Psalms are full of laments. But there's two interesting things to note about the laments. Number one is that almost all of the laments begin with, God, where are you? God, what's happening? God, are you paying attention? But how do they end? I praise you, O Lord, for I know you've heard my cry and you've come to deliver me. There's a couple of psalms that do not. In fact, Tony taught one of them, Psalm 88, which does not end with praise. It ends with, and the darkness is my closest friend. Uh, a very difficult psalm. But overwhelmingly, like 99% of the laments end with praise. Secondly, the entire book of Psalms is structured. If you go to the beginning, Psalm 1 and 2 are introductory psalms, but then beginning with Psalm 3. Psalm 3 is a lament. Psalm 4 is a lament. Psalm 5 is a lament. Psalm 6 is a lament. Is anybody catching a pattern here? They all start with laments, but by the time you get to the end of the book of Psalms, there's five psalms that serve as a doxology for the entire book of psalms because there's five books. Every book ends with a doxology, and this is a five-psalm doxology at the end, and there's no lament. It is all praise because the structure of the book of psalms moves from lamentation to praise. And so the dominant final note in the book of psalms is that of praise. And what this teaches us is that the Christian life should be full of thanksgiving and praise. Make no mistake, we took time this summer to do the book of Psalms because the Psalms are our prayer and worship book. This is where you and I learn what prayer and worship are. Of all the billions of prayers and worship songs that have been uttered through human history, God said, these 150 I really like. These are the ones I have inspired. This teaches you what prayer and worship looks like. And so as the book of Psalms is a book of praise, as it even in its lament moves from lamentation to praise, God is teaching us something that we are to be people of praise. But it's not only restricted to the book of Psalms, we're commanded to be people of gratitude. 
people whose lives are shaped by gratitude and thanksgiving. A very familiar passage in the book of Colossians, Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Uh, This was one of the verses I had up during plebe summer when I was a plebe. Some of my company mates thought I was crazy because I wanted to remind myself every day as I stepped out during plebe summer and they were going to start screaming at me what my attitude was supposed to be. I didn't know anything about research on gratitude or anything else. I just knew this is what Jesus had told me we were supposed to do. Um, So notice here that Paul says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So we're supposed to have the word of God just soaking us. How do we do that? Well, here's what Paul says. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, singing psalms. So notice there, what's the first kind of song he gives us? Psalms. Okay, go back to the book of Psalms. Sing those. Hymns and spiritual songs, but how do you sing them? With gratitude in your hearts to God. Because the book of Psalms are songs of praise and thanksgiving and gratitude. So, of course, if you're singing them, you should be singing them with gratitude in your heart. And notice what he says. It's not just a matter of our songs when we gather or even when I'm just listening to worship music at home. It, uh, he says in verse 17, and whatever you do, whether you're singing whether you're studying the Word, whether you're praying and giving thanks to God before your meal, when you are at work, when you're driving down the road, whatever's going on in your life, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, doing what? Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So in a certain sense, we could almost say that the degree to which my life is shaped by gratitude is the degree to which the Word of Christ is dwelling in me richly. The degree to which I'm a Debbie Downer, if for those who are older and remember Saturday Night Live skit, or I am a whiner about everything, to that degree the Word of Christ is not dwelling in me richly. It just simply is not. We, in our Christian life, are called to be filled and to be formed by gratitude. I remind you, you know, I I like reading those studies because it's actually rewiring our brain. It's doing the same thing. It's shaping your soul and mine. Gratitude actually shapes your soul. The more you express gratefulness, thankfulness, praise, the more your soul is shaped to be that way and is a receptacle for the Word of God. Now, the psalm, and I love this, does not just tell us give thanks to God. David actually lists here six different reasons we should give praise and thanks for God. Six different causes for gratitude to God, which is a good thing. It's not enough just to say, be thankful to God. Why? Why should I be thankful to God? Well, David gives us six reasons. Number one, he begins with God's character and nature. He says, be uh, grateful to God because of God's love and faithfulness. Notice in verse 2, David says, I will bow down towards your holy temple and I will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness. And this is actually the dominant thing. All the rest are really an expression of God's very nature and character of love and faithfulness. Notice down in verse 8, he says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. So this is a, a device that people use in poetry or in literature. If I start a list with something 
and I end the list with the same thing, what am I saying? This is really, really important. I started with it. I came back to it. Pay attention to this. And here it is God's love. Now, he does not add, add faithfulness at the end, but the reason for that is the word for love here, I've mentioned before, is the Hebrew word chesed. Again, you don't have to remember it, but do remember this. This word is not about emotion. It doesn't mean I praise you, O Lord, because you have warm, fuzzy feelings for me. It doesn't mean I praise you because you just like me. It is a word that refers to God's covenant faithfulness. God's uh, being true to his promises even when you and I fail. Even when we are not faithful, he is faithful. It is that word. It's the word that's used in Psalm 136, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. That's the same word. In Psalm 23 where it says your love will, some translations too weakly say follow, it's actually your love will pursue me all the days of my life. Same word. It is your covenant faithful love. And that's what we are giving thanks to God for, that He is a God who loves us. Again, not in the sense of some emotional feeling, but in His faithfulness to us as His people, in His faithfulness to all of His covenant promises. And notice this is central to who God is. When He's revealing Himself to Israel in Exodus chapter 34. Now, let me paint the picture here. In Exodus 34, if you know your Bible, Moses had gone up in Exodus 20 to get the Ten Commandments. And while he was up getting the Ten Commandments, what was Israel doing? God's making covenant with Israel via Moses on the mountain, and they're down on the plain sinning. <laughs> okay, they, they are busy. Remember, they're making the golden calf. Some translations say, you know, they... they uh, sat down and they ate and drank and they got up to indulge in pagan revelry. I'll let you figure out what pagan revelry is. Your mind won't go far enough. Okay? They are being unfaithful. And then God has to, you know, Moses destroys the Ten Commandments, you remember, and God brings him back up to the mountain. And Moses is pleading for God to forgive Israel. And he wants to see the Lord's glory. And this is where Moses is put into the cleft of the rock, like we sing in the song, you know, Rock of Ages. And the Lord's going to pass in front of Moses, and he reveals himself in his name to Moses. And notice what he says. Exodus 34, 6, he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord. The Lord, this is Yahweh, Yahweh, the covenant name of our God, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now he goes on to say, but I judge sin, okay? He is holy, but notice here, he is holy, but he is also loving, and he is also full of faithfulness and integrity. This is who our God is. He is all of this. And so God abounds with love and faithfulness. And if there was ever a moment in Israel's history that God would say, I'm, not, I'm done with love and faithfulness, it would have been then. But he doesn't, because it's his very nature is that he is a God of love 
and faithfulness. And brothers and sisters, every week we gather, and we should do this every day, we should be reminded, the gospel itself is the testimony of the love and faithfulness of God towards us. And so we need nothing else. David could have stopped right there and just said, give thanks and praise to God for the gospel. We don't need anything further. What you and I deserve and what we get are two very different things. And we get the blessings we get because of the gospel. I have never entered in before God and said, you owe me. Never. All I have is grace. What I have labored and worked toward, and so have you, is judgment. What I am given is grace and blessing because God is a God of love and faithfulness. So David says that's the beginning of our gratitude. And if we went no further, you have enough to keep your days full of gratitude and praise and to shape your soul. But David gives us more. Secondly, because God is a God of love and faithfulness, David says, I praise you, I give you thanks for answered prayer. Notice in verse 3, when I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. David's got some bold prayers, and he was a man of prayer. We know that David was the man after God's own heart. He cried out to God. We forget, because we know him as King David, but what actually characterized much of David's life? Fleeing with Saul trying to kill him. And he's crying out to God. He's outnumbered. Everything is arrayed against him. And he is crying out to God. And David says, and again and again and again, you heard me. Again and again and again, you answered my prayer. This is an example of God's love and faithfulness. Because I remind you, did David sin? grievously. Do any of us come before God and say, well, I was good enough today, so I get my top three requests? Is that how prayer works? Okay? You know, there have been astoundingly stupid books written in recent church history, things like How to Write Your Own Ticket with God. That should be a very short book. Okay? You, you don't get to do that. God does not have to answer anything, but because he's a God of love and faithfulness, he does. But notice what David says is, because that's my attitude coming before him, it's not, well, of course he did. I deserve it. No. I'm astounded every time he condescends to hear my prayer, and he answers my prayer. And notice, David, the NIVs translate there, you made me bold and stout-hearted. That word stout-hearted, if you've got an ESV, I think the way they actually translate it is strong in soul. And that's literally what the Hebrew is. You made me strong in my soul. Because see, there's something about when we cry out to God and we see that He answers our prayer, but not just that we see it, but we close the loop, so to speak, and say, God, thank you for hearing and answering, it makes our soul strong. You know, one of the reasons we're weak in soul very often, because I take it for granted. 
I will quickly question why didn't you answer the way I wanted you to answer when it doesn't seem to be coming the way I want. But am I quick to give praise to God and say, you heard my prayer. The Psalms are full of giving thanks to God for answered prayer. If you want to be strong in soul, if you want to be stout-hearted in the face of your enemies, I'll, I'll come back to this again, but did you notice this morning we were singing, you know, raise a hallelujah? Is not I raise a hallelujah because I have no storms in life. Where did it say that we raised a hallelujah? In the middle of the storm, you want to get stout-hearted, you want to be bold, be crying out in the middle of the storm and giving God thanks. Not saying, why are you not delivering me from this storm yet? But saying, you know what? I've been in storms before, and I know you delivered me because you're a God of love and faithfulness. And so I give you praise. That strengthens my soul, okay? So number two, answered prayer. Number three, the growth of God's kingdom. This might surprise us, but this is David's reason. Notice in verses four and five. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. David is giving God praise because he's saying, you know, Lord, you've exalted above all things your name and your word. You've been faithful to your word. What you have spoken, you've done. And Lord, when this word goes out to other kings, it's not just going to be me, the king of Israel, that is praising you. It's going to be the kings of Egypt, the kings of Moab, the kings of Assyria and Babylon and whoever else. Lord, the other kings are going to hear and they're going to become your worshipers and I give you praise for that. Now let me ask you a question. When David wrote that, how many other kings were giving praise to Yahweh? Best we know, basically none. The gospel has spread very little geographic distance. Today, how much thank, cause for thanksgiving do you and I have for the gospel spreading around the world? Has the gospel ever been as far flung as it is right now? Too many Christians today are like, Oh, if I could have just lived in the days of. Okay, whatever it is. Second Great Awakening, First Great Awakening, Reformation, days of Chrysostom and Augustine. You, you pick your time. Let me tell you what they all have in common. The gospel was not as far flung as it is now. It was not growing as fast as it is now. It was not making the penetration into all the world as it is right now. I strongly suspect they would look and probably are in heaven saying, what are you talking about? You're living in the day of the gospel spreading everywhere. If David had cause to praise God, you and I have far, far more. And let me say, if this doesn't bring praise up in our hearts, I don't think we are paying attention to what that really means. Brothers and sisters, if we understand, if we truly understand the greatness of God, the glorious truths of the gospel, the awesome reality of eternity, as C.S. Lewis said, I remind you, civilizations rise, civilizations fall. Their life is to ours as that of a gnat. But the people you eat and drink and play with are eternal.
they will last forever. That's the stakes. If we understand that, if we meditate on that, the spread of the gospel has to be praised to our lips. There are billions at stake, but the gospel is alive and well around the world. It is spreading. More people becoming believers right now, today, than at any point in the history of the church. That is reason to give thanks to God. And we've got it because we can add to it every Sunday, and I hope you're doing it every day, we pray for our missionaries. So it becomes a cause to say thank you, God. We prayed, you heard. The gospel is spreading. Fourth reason David gives, God's care for the lowly and his resistance of the proud. Notice he says, though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. This is David saying, look, it's not just that kings here. God is a God who pays attention to the lowly. God is a God who is not only concerned with kings. He cares for those who nobody else pays any attention to. And this is interesting that a king is making this statement. But it is a strong biblical truth. We're told in the Bible multiple times. In fact, the first time comes from David's son Solomon in Proverbs 3.34, and then it's repeated in James 4.6 and in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. We're told God resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble, the lowly. Our God does that. Now, if you and I are honest, who in here is famous? Who in here is of great account? Who in here is going to be the subject of the evening news? None of us. None of us are known. Is that not true? Let's face it, most of us are going to end our life. We will have a funeral. We will cry. We will... We will comfort one another, and then just a short period of time later, it's going to be like the wake that a ship left. It's just washed over, and we go on, and we're forgotten. Is that not true? We're not Alexander the Great. We're not Caesar. We're not Napoleon. We're not Churchill. But you know who does notice you? God, which is the only person that really matters in the end, because I'm not going to stand in front of Alexander the Great. I'm going to be hugging the turf just like he is. And David says, do you understand? The, the, the kings may not pay attention to you. They may have you as a slave over there. But you know what? God pays attention to you. He is giving care to the lowly. He, he's got his hand out to the proud, but he cares for the lowly. Here, here's the truth we've all heard. You remember that old song, His Eye is on the Sparrow? Bobby, you want to hum a couple of chords? No. I'll have Bobby do it, not me, because I'll spread you all out of here. You won't give thanks to God if I sing it. But we've heard that song, right? His eye is on the sparrow. And what's the point? Friend, if his eye is on the sparrow, Jesus said, oh, sparrows are two for a penny. They're nothing. But not one of them falls to the ground that your father doesn't notice. He notices every one of them. If his eye is on the sparrow, his eye is always, always, always on you. 
Now, do I sometimes feel like it's not? Sometimes I wrestle and struggle. That, that's the laments. But what I can know at the end of the day is his eye is on me. I am never abandoned. And that should give me cause for praise. Friends forget me. Family may forget you. Your company may lay you off when times get tough. All of those things. The one person that will always be true. If father and mother forget you, the Lord is close to you. He will never abandon you. That leads to the next point, which is God preserves us in trouble. He'll never abandon us. You can see how David's kind of building through these. God's a God of love and faithfulness. Therefore, he answers my prayer. Therefore, his kingdom is going forth. And yet he still pays attention to me when I'm lowly. And that means when I'm in trouble, he hears my cry and he does not abandon me. Verse 7, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me me. We do not offer praise and thanksgiving to God because life doesn't have troubles. That is simply not true. Anybody tells you that life doesn't have trouble, they are selling snake oil. I don't care how close you are to Jesus, you will cease to have trouble when you open your eyes and you're staring him face to face in heaven. At that point, you can say, Thank God Almighty, free at last. Until then, there's troubles. So the good news and the cause for praise is not that we don't have trouble. It is that in the midst of trouble, God is with us. He preserves uh, our life. He stretches out his hand. By his right hand, he is with us. So as David in another psalm put it, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Linda and I, when we were in southern Utah at the end of the sabbatical, we were out in the canyon lands, and there are just these amazing, steep canyons. And there's this little road down there that you can actually get a permit and drive your car down now, which looked like it would have been awesome. Just this little narrow road. But they had pictures of shepherds taking sheep down this thing in the past. I don't know what for, because it's a desert. I don't know where they were taking the sheep. But here's the good news. The shepherd doesn't say, Hey, see that little winding, dangerous path? You go down it. I'll get a helicopter down to the bottom. Where is the shepherd when you're walking the path? He's with you. He is right there with you. And so even when we are surrounded by foes, God is sovereign over our lives. This is true both of human foes and it's true of our greatest foes. It does no good to be delivered from every human foe if you are left alone when you face death and when you face Satan. Every other foe matters not if you are abandoned in their face. But the good news is we are not abandoned in their face because Jesus Christ has conquered death in our place and for us. And so, again, I remind you, that's what we were singing this morning. Pay attention as we're singing worship. Don't just kind of, you know, clap along to the tune. In the midst of the storm, you and I are still called to cry out to God, okay? We are called to reach out to Him. Yes, lament God 
everything seems to be falling apart. But the lament is not one of doubt. Why do we cry to God and in, in lament in the middle of our storm? Because I believe He hears. Because I believe He is faithful. Because I believe He does answer my prayers. So no matter what's going on, I keep crying out. Trusting my God to come deliver me. And so just as God delivered David, just as He delivered Joseph time and time again, so he will deliver you and me. That includes from many perils in this life and the ultimate peril, which is death itself that we are delivered from. And so then that leads to the last thing, which is because as David is reflected on all these past things in God's character, in verse 8, he turns to the future, okay? He kind of had, you know, past actions, present trouble. Now he's looking to the future, and he thanks God for his future faithfulness, or what John Piper refers to as future grace, that we, we are confident even about the future. He says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. I'm in the midst of trouble. I, it could seem like I'm being abandoned, but I'm crying out to you, and I have confidence that you will not abandon the work of your hands. Why? because you are a God of love and faithfulness, because you have answered my prayers in the past, because I see your word going forth and conquering and doing everything you said that you were going to do, because you have kept and sustained me. You looked upon me in my low place. You have rescued me from trouble time and again. And so I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know you will be with me. I know you're going to fulfill your purpose for me. I know I'm going to be kept and sustained until the day I stand before Jesus Christ. If you're honest, there are times when you just feel tired and you feel weak, and it's like, I don't know if I can make it another day. Okay? Here's the answer as a believer. The answer always is yes. Not because I'm a great champion, I've trained, I'm stronger than other people, but because Jesus is. Remember, Jesus said, look, uh, you're in my hands and you're in the Father's hands. And who can pluck you from the Father's hand? No one, no one can take you from the hand of the Father. You and I are sustained not just by past grace and present grace, but by future grace grace. The same God who's been faithful in the past will be faithful in the future. And in the end, we'll know that we're going to be delivered again from the greatest of enemies, death and Satan. And we are going to live forever in God's kingdom of endless blessing and bounty and joy. And just like the book of Psalms, by the end, when we're there at the end, lament is going to be far behind us. And it's going to be nothing but like Psalm 150. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Because all we are going to be experiencing is the endless bounty and blessing of our God. And the scripture is clear. It is so good. I mean, Isaiah in Isaiah 26 says, Oh, you think you've had good meat? You think you've had good wine? Wait until that day when God is removing the shroud of death and it is all gone. There is going to be meat and there is going to be wine like you have never imagined before. The greatest of all feasts and it's going to go for eternity. That is what awaits us. And that gives us cause for praise now because that is sure 
and certain. Brothers and sisters, being shaped by gratitude, of all people, we should be eternal optimists. It does not matter what the economy does. It does not matter who wins the next election. It does not matter what happens to, you know, American or foreign policy. It doesn't matter if we wake up tomorrow and America has fallen. The kingdom of God will endure. And our future is sure. Not because of us, but because of Christ Jesus and what he's done. So, that's why we, of all people, should be re- people of thanks and praise. Now look here. I'm just going to put these up briefly. These, again, are David's six reasons. Kind of fix them in your mind, and we're going to go to applying the word. But I'll remind you of another song we sang this morning, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. What's the name of that song? 10,000 Reasons. See, I like that. Matt Redman named it. He, he gave a few, but he's, Matt Redman's basically saying, well, look, David just gave you six as a summary, but how many do you have? 10,000 Reasons. An endless number of reasons to give thanks and praise to God. These are six to prime the pump. But you and I have endless cause to give God thanks. Now, let's talk about how we apply this, and then we'll come to the Lord's table. Simple question. It's not rocket science. Am I walking in thankfulness and praise daily? Is this shaping my life? The whole Christian life is called to be one of gratitude. But I want to remind you, at the beginning, David said, in the presence of the gods, I give you thanks and praise. Now, he was probably referring to other kings by gods. You know, the NIV puts it in quotation there because he's probably referring to the other kings and maybe their gods. But I want to kind of riff off of that and say, you know what, we don't have those kings around us. We don't have those false idols around us. But our culture is full of gods. And those gods are out to destroy gratitude in your life. Okay? So I want to talk about just a few of them briefly. The gods that are out to destroy gratitude and are you and I. It's not that they're not going to be there. See, David says, I'm praising you in the midst of the gods. They surround me. They're all around me, but I'm praising you. How do you and I do? Here's the first one. Consumerism and advertising. Why do we have ads? What are they doing when they're trying to get you to buy something on TV? Are they telling you, oh, human being, you should be satisfied, content. Look at all that you have. Take a moment and stop and give thanks. Whoever has seen an ad like that? None of you have. What is the entire point of advertising? Don't be content. It doesn't matter. You just got a new Porsche. Do you know that they're making another new one? Is that not it? What holiday that is a major holiday gets almost no notice now in American culture? Thanksgiving. And you know why? Because the marketers tried to market it, but how do you market gratitude? You can't. They're antithetical. And they said, I mean, you can read articles. I'm not making this up. Heads of big ad agencies said, look, we tried. We tried to come up with cute little turkeys. We tried to find ways to market it, but it doesn't work. So it used to be, you know, you kind of got a 96 Thanksgiving weekend, right? 
And then we started encroaching in, and it started on Saturday, and then it was what? Black Friday, which now starts when? On Thursday, because let's just get back to the stuff. Am I making any of this up? This is what our culture is. You are being shaped to be discontented. It doesn't matter what you have, what you are given. Our culture says you need more. And that saps your soul. A person shaped by that is a miserable person. And in fact, does more stuff equal happiness and joy? You've all seen them, right? What tends to be the outcome when somebody wins $50 million in the lottery? Does their life get better or worse? Let's be honest. I mean, it's a, this is not rare. You talk to people later, it's like my marriage fell apart. You know, all of this stuff happened. Man, if I could go back in time, I think I would just not even win this dumb thing. But next time the Powerball is $100 bucks, what will everybody be doing? I'll be down to 7-Eleven, shall I? Because we're convinced if I can get more stuff, it's a false God. But it's shaping you and me. You do not have to go look for this God. They're going to meet you at the front door. Number two, photoshopped and curated lives. This comes into advertisement, and now it's stuff like Instagram, where people spend hours getting themselves made up and do all this and take thousands of photos and say, this is my everyday life. No, it's not. This is what I look like. No, you don't. But what does it tell you and me? Oh, if you buy my product, you can look like me too. You can experience a life like this. No, you can't. They're not experiencing that life. It is a lie. But it drives, it's tied in with number one. Recently before Congress, a whistleblower from Facebook said, because Facebook owns Instagram, we had study after study after study. What is Instagram doing to teenage girls? It is destroying them. Suicide rates are massive. No matter who they are or what they are, it's never enough. And Facebook knew it. And what did they do? Let's lower the age. Get them younger. Because it's how we make a buck. And we don't make a buck by telling you you're good enough. That mess, I mean, I, I'm grateful that a few, a few years ago, Kate Winslet actually sued a magazine because she found out they took a photo and then they photoshopped all the stuff as if she wasn't an attractive enough lady in the first place. They spent hours and hours photoshopping and she actually sued them. I'll give her credit and said, that doesn't look like me. And I don't want to look like that. You had an army of people changing everything about me so it's not who I am. But that is all around and it makes you and I discontent rather than grateful. Third, news and social media. There's a term now for what we do on our phones with news and social media. It's called doom scrolling. Now, y'all work with me if you haven't heard this term. Does that sound like something positive or something bad? Doom 
scrolling. This is, this is what we've got now. Because as I scroll through these things, is it making me grateful, thankful? What sells, good news or bad news? What sells, things that make you happy and grateful or things that make me angry? They know. The algorithms know because all they care is that you keep doom scrolling. That's all they care about. News sources, and I don't, this is not just the other guy. You know, I'm so glad I don't watch CNN. They do that. I watch Fox. Well, you're a fool. They do the same exact thing. They all do it. The New York Times is doing it. They're all just selling, and how they keep you going is trying to make you angry. They don't care what the reason is. You are a user they're trying to keep hooked. And so if they can keep you doom-scrolling, disaster, and conflict, and everything in the world to worry about. I mean, some of the stuff we come at you, does anybody remember when murder hornets were out? I mean, civilization was about to fall. When's the last time one of you heard about murder hornets? Somehow we survived. I remember when it was the African bee coming across from Mexico, when it's been bird flu, Constantly, they just turn from one disaster to the next because that's what keeps people scrolling. Unless you're wise and say, I'm not doing that because it eats my soul. Fourth thing, and then we'll turn to how we build a happy life, busyness and hurry. Gratitude requires time to reflect. If I can't get you by consumerism and advertising, photoshopped and curated lives, news and social media, if I just keep you busy, you won't have time to be grateful. Now, who thinks, is our culture busier or less busier than we were, say, 20 or 30 years ago? Your amount of free time today is far less than it's ever been in human history before. Despite the fact you don't have to do little things like grow your own food which used to take almost all of our time, but we've just filled it up. Because, see, it is a prime ploy of Satan. And I remind you, we were snatched out of the dirt on day six. What was our first full day? Sabbath. It's what we were made for. But who has got time for that? Because, see, if we are busy and we are in a hurry and I'm multitasking and and look I can say I got this nasty gouge on my thumb because this week I was having a conversation with Linda thinking about the food I had in the oven and trying to open a bottle of wine and I thought I should stop with the wine and go to the thing no I'm going to go back and I put my hand and I didn't look and I cranked down the corkscrew right onto my thumb the gears and yes they will hunk a piece of your they'll grab a piece of your thumb and rip it right off and thankfully, I said, oh, bless you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Y'all laugh way too much at that joke. Um, okay, see, but why am I doing that? Because I'm busy. I've been training. I've got to be doing three things at once, four things at once. I've got to keep And Satan says, that's awesome, because if you're that busy, you'll never take time to reflect. The gratitude game is over with nothing else. Now, how do we build a life of joyous gratitude and we'll come to the table? Let me give three quick practices. Number one, take time each day to consider God's blessings and give Him thanks. Tomorrow morning, 
Wake up. Let your first thing be the gospel. Oh God, you have awakened me. My sinful soul is forgiven. It is counted free. You have made me your child. Give thanks to God. Think of the answered prayers. Look at those six things again. Okay, you can go out to the website and get them down if you want or just read through the psalm. Look at these, take them, and take time to give thanks to God. Brothers and sisters, we have every reason to have gratitude tomorrow. But take the time to do it. You know, we used to call morning devotions quiet times. I encourage you, do not look at your phone before this. You, you don't need to know what's going on. Save doom scrolling for later. Begin. Let your first note be praise. Second thing, practice Sabbath each week to rest, worship, and give thanks and praise to God. Those gods I put up there, what are you going to have to do to have them come assault you this week? Breathe. That's it. You cannot be away from them. 24-7. God says, well, 24-6. Because God says, this is why I've given you Sabbath. Set it aside. Each week I take time. I, because of my job being here, I actually do Sabbath on Friday. If some of you have ever called me on Friday, you'll notice you'll get a voicemail. Hi, it's Friday. I'm not taking phone calls, voicemails, text messages, or any other form of digital communication today. If you have an emergency, call one of the elders or the church staff. They can get through to me. Otherwise, leave a message, and I will get back to you on Saturday because my phone doesn't notify me of anything on Friday. Take Sabbath. I'll go more into why this is really, really important in after hours. Trust me. Take Sabbath if you want to shape your soul for gratitude. Take a day that you stop all that other stuff. And if you've got one of those things, if you're like, you know, I'm pretty good about the photo curated lives and all that, but the doom scroll and that's me, then on Sabbath, I don't look at it. No social media, no news. You will find out the world will keep operating while you're not there getting angry about it. It will just keep right on going, amazingly enough. And then what we'll do is, the, the third thing I'll note is look for ways to pass God's blessing on to others. There is a cycle here. The most grateful people are the people who are busy blessing other people. If you and I try to hold on to it, it doesn't work. So we end, we're going to end this meeting in a few minutes. What's the last words I'm going to say? You are blessed. Do what? Go forth and be a blessing. Okay, that, that There's deep theology. I didn't just one day say that. God blesses you and me. Go forth and be a blessing. Those who bless others notice their own blessings. Those who do not ignore the blessings they have. So being a channel of blessing will increase gratitude and joy in your own life because it's the very nature of the universe. God is an ever-overflowing, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is an ever-overflowing fountain of life and blessing and joy and giving. And if I say, well, I'm going to be the little part of the universe that's turned in on myself, it will not work. I'm running against reality. 
So God calls us to not do that. Now we're going to come to this table and I'll ask a question. For those who've grown up in a little bit more liturgical tradition, what is this table usually called, like in the Episcopal Church? or The Eucharist, which means, that's a Greek word, and it means the thanksgiving. This is a thanksgiving table. It's what we come here to do. So I put out the words of invitation for us, and then we will come to the table. In Psalm 103, another psalm of David, he wrote, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Count your blessings. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desire with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. If you are here and you are a believer, if you've embraced the gospel, know your sin, openly confess your sin, and you are looking to Christ alone for salvation, you are invited to this table of thanksgiving where we're going to re-present the gospel and we're going to celebrate the gospel. If you're not a believer say, I don't really understand or believe all this, then just let it pass by. Talk to me right after the meeting. I'd love to talk to you about the gospel. There's nothing more important and nothing will bring greater joy in your life. So brothers and sisters, what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you've got the packet, go ahead and open up for the bread. Blessed are you, O Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. O Lord, you are the almighty maker of heaven and earth, the fount of all blessing and goodness, and every gift we have has flowed from your hand. And though we strayed from you, neither glorifying you as God nor giving thanks to you for all these blessings so that our hearts were darkened and our minds became foolish. Even though we had done this, you offered reconciliation to us through the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ. So today we give you thanks for the gifts of creation, but especially for our Lord Jesus and the salvation we have in him. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. And blessed are you, O Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth wine from the vine. O Lord, you abound in love and faithfulness, even giving yourself for our sins. Jesus, you were forsaken that we might know we will never 
be forsaken. You took the covenant curse that we might receive the covenant blessing. By your blood we have been redeemed and our eternal inheritance is secure. Therefore we lift up the cup of thanksgiving, confessing that all our hope and joy is freely given to us in Christ. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. Let's stand together. And as I cry out to the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to cry out along with me. Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul commanded us not to be drunk on wine, but rather to be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, always giving thanks to the Father in everything through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we cry out to you now, Holy Spirit of the living God. In a world drunk with sin, make us sober in righteousness. In a world refusing to glorify and acknowledge God, Fill our mouths with songs of praise. In a world of ingratitude, make us grateful to the very core of our being. Make our every thought and word and deed ring with gratitude and praise, indicative of those who have experienced your love and your faithfulness. We ask all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus, in whom every covenant promise is yes. And so the people of God say, amen. Amen. I encourage you now, I'm going to speak God's ancient blessing he promised to Abraham. And I encourage you by faith to receive this covenant blessing. God says, I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I myself will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You are blessed. Go forth and be a blessing. Amen. Amen. Okay. We, we have a testimony real quick. And I just want to give this testimony that I heard yesterday, we, or day before yesterday. We had friends over from Alabama. There's a gal here from Alabama. But anyway, um, he shared this testimony, and I, it has such a seed of hope in it. They were meeting, their church was meeting in a school in Alabama. And the superintendent of the school came and said, you will not be in this church. You will not. And so he stood against them. And he even went to the newspaper and blasted the church. The church, in return, said, okay. They didn't fight it. They took instead... They went to the paper and they said, this is what we're going to do. What, you wrote about us in this way. Will you write about us in this way? 
They said, not only are we not going to meet there, we, we will do what they say, but we're going to paint the school. We're going to go in and put a new coat of paint on the school. Not only that, we're going to buy desks for every child in that school to sit at. And not only that, we're going to put in a sound system, a brand new sound system for this school. The paper did this, and the, the superintendent changed his mind because he got flack. But he begged them to come back. They said, no, we're not coming back, but I'll tell you what we will do. We're going to pay for our contract the full amount. And they did. Money came in from the community like crazy. They were able to buy land to start their church. But they have a great testimony in that community because they did the right thing. They were a blessing when there was a curse upon them. Amen. That's God's call to us. So I encourage you, uh, go forth and be a blessing everywhere this week. Spread God's good blessings. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.